Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm unfortunately not joined in the studio by Ellie Mistal, but he is reaching us through the power of technology. Hello. I just wanted to talk to my friends one last time. Oh, you're one of those people who still thinks those movies are good, huh? Yes, I think that the new ones are good. I liked um, the middle one uh, more than other people. Obviously, I thought Force Awakens was awesome. And I couldn't believe with the new... We're talking about the Star Wars trailer for people who... Mm. He's gonna get the reference. Yeah. Um, the thing about the new Star Wars trailer that really got me was that the emotional weight of the trailer was goddamn C three PO. Yeah, which is shocking because he's not usually the person who, who who does the emotional heavy lift. Interesting. So w- we'll see if that actually works out. Uh, I, I I saw an interesting theory because I was saying one of the he has this line where somebody's working, you know, they're working on his brain. And they're like, 3PO, what are you doing? And he goes, I just wanted to look at my friends one last time. So it seems like 3PO is about to sacrifice himself. And I mentioned that I was uh, shocked that 3PO's, you know, cowardice, which has been a part of my entire life, like 3PO being a coward has been something that is true for my entire freaking life. I noted that his cowardice was not there. And that kind of hit me. Um, but then somebody on the internet wisely pointed out, you don't know how that scene ends. It could end with Poe's just saying, 3PO, stop being ridiculous. You're not going to die. Like, <laughs> like, the scene itself could be an example of his cowardice. We don't know yeah. yet, but um, wow. I'm excited for the movie. Yeah, you devoted a lot more time to this than most folks. <laughs> so, um, yeah. no. So while you were watching trailers, I was out in lovely San Diego, where it is still 87 degrees, as it turns out. And learning a little bit more about uh, trends in legal technology, in particular legal technology aimed at smaller law firms. I was at the Clio Cloud Conference, which is always a great show. You can read more of the coverage of it on Above the Law because stories will be up about the time there. So that's what I was doing while you were uh, you were doing that. San Diego is a great place. You know, I, I got to be honest. I'm not a huge San Diego fan. I feel like it's the... It's the sterile Boston of the California cities. It's the one that like just feels like it's a little too constructed and a little too artificially clean. I don't know. <laughs> I, I just, I, I've, hey, Boston is not artificially clean. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah, it is though. Like the purposely grungy. Oh no, um, no. And also, like, I just, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't imagine Boston in 86 degree weather all the time like well there's that completely changes the culture of everything right like boston where people were happy i just know that's like for all its irritating qualities i feel like there's a spirit motivating los angeles and i feel like san diego's spirit is we're not los angeles and that's really (laughs) it and at a certain point that's just not enough for me it's it's fine it's warm and whatever it's by tijuana whatever but otherwise I don't know. The food's good, though. So food is that. excellent. Yeah. The best Tex-Mex available in the lower 48. Mm, bold statement, but okay. Um, 
and most likely all 50, right? Because I don't think you got a lot of great Tex-Mex coming out of Alaska. I haven't yeah. tried it, though, so I don't want to assume. I feel, I feel as though Tex is right there in the name, though. <laughs> I think Tex-Mex uh, is, uh, is, is quite bad, actually. Well, they, they, barbecue in Texas, that, they got that going. But like yeah. really good Tex-Mex, um, Southern California over Texas any day. This is not what I want to talk about. Okay. What I want to talk about with you is, and we've had a couple of stories about this this week on Above the Law, who within the orbit of the Trump administration needs to be disbarred first? Um, your, your, your options Gi- right Giuliani, now it would seem. are Giuliani, um, yeah. William Barr, Don McGahn, I think you can throw in there as a potential. Yeah. Like, the- who, who needs to go down first? Giuliani's the only one who's done anything that strikes me as disciplinary problematic, at least, or, or allegedly, I guess we should say still. But the accusations against him show somebody who's actually done something that could be disciplined. Everybody else seems still above board. Well, I want to give you a second. So explain to people what, why you think Giuliani is, has committed actual uh, ethical violations. Yeah. Um, well, I don't necessarily need to. My friends at the Justice Department uh, <laughs> have been very good about explaining why and have mostly but through his his cronies, but it appears as though he has utilized his buddies to, you know, basically defraud the government in a sense. I mean, I don't know so that would be the legal terminology for it, but that's what certainly what it looks like colloquially, uh, if true. And that's... Uh, yeah, that's the sort of thing that gets you uh, your license yanked. So I generally agree that Giuliani is is the most obvious candidate and and the most uh, the, the one who's almost trying to set his law license on fire. But I'm going to make a a case for the for Attorney General uh, William Barr um, to also be disbarred. Um, certainly, the New York City Bar thinks so. Um, yeah, we we have a, a post up on above the law from Elizabeth Dye, um, kind of detailing the New York City Bar's kind of argument against uh, William Barr. And one of their quotes is, because the respect for law is central to our nation's governments, the Attorney General of the United States bears a special responsibility to see that our laws are administrated um, for the benefit of American people. The Attorney General is and must be seen as a representative of the nation advising the president and other federal officers. Barr has clearly failed to do this. Like, uh, and, I, and I tend to agree that in, as a disciplinary matter, it's more of a case for impeachment of Barr than yeah, disbarment I mean, of Barr. Exactly. Um, but l- let's be clear, like William Barr's attitude towards his office is one of a defense attorney with one client, that being Donald Trump, as opposed to the United States top lawyer. He has been knee deep in it, it appears to be knee deep in all of the schemes that Trump and Giuliani were concocting um, with the Ukraine uh, it or sorry, Ukraine, not the Ukraine. I, I learned you've that's... been playing. You've been playing risk too much. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it seems like he is knee deep in all of the Ukraine scandals. He has been gallivanting around Europe, um, trying to convince other countries, perhaps, to investigate uh, Joe Biden um, or other Trump political ri- rivals. He's been in Italy um, doing some of this stuff. He buried the whistleblower complaint, um, or at least tried to. 
one of the reasons why the impeachment process playing out the way it is with all of these kind of closed door depositions um, in front of the House Intelligence Committee is because William Barr has received, I think last reports I saw were three criminal referrals about Trump's behavior, Mm -hmm. um, none of which he has decided to follow up on. Um, So this top American law enforcement official is instead of acting like that, acting like Trump's bagman, um, and that to me should attach with some form of disciplinary action um, because he is violating the standards and the norms and the ethics of his office. Okay. But you would agree. But do you think that the, that that punishment should be removal from his job, not uh, loss of his law license? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's. It doesn't seem as though it's a disciplinary thing per se. I guess you could stretch it to say that at the point that you win the the link to his clients are the United States and not, yeah, maybe, but yeah, I don't know as though this is a disciplinary claim, but, but I fully understand why an advocacy group would draw that distinction. I mean, it is valuable to them. It is a way in which they can raise awareness of what they do. Uh, so I don't fault them for it, but it seems as though the person who is in most danger of losing their license is not him. What about Dom again? I mean, okay. I, he didn't do anything that I can well, tell. Arguably he, 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 we don't, we don't, well, because he will not test. Well, let's start here. Sorry. Let's start here. He's refusing to comply with congressional subpoenas Sure. That is a potential that's a, that that should be viewed as an ethical violation right off the top. Right. So your position is Eric Holder should have been disbarred. He also declined to submit to congressional subpoenas. I'm saying like, you can make it I'm saying you can make that argument, yes. Sure. I'm saying I'm saying at the point where you have a duly issued subpoena from Congress and you are ignoring it, that should be viewed as an ethical violation. I mean, but it's but there's a good reason why it isn't, which is that congressional subpoenas are incredibly problematic because we have the lessons of the Oliver North era that if you ignore a congressional subpoena, there's not really much that can be done to you. But if you comply with it, that evidence can often be used against you and arguably could be used against you. It was against North, though he ultimately was able to beat that on a on a bit of a technicality at the appellate level, but that can be used against you in a criminal case. And so oh, come on, that's like saying if you evade the cops, they can't catch you. But if you submit to the cops, they could do any, all sorts of things to you. No, it's no, a, it, it, it's, 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 it's it's part of it's it, complying with the law is not optional. Right. And that's why I'm sure he would comply with a a law enforcement subpoena. Congressional subpoenas, though, are ignored for this very reason, that they are concerned that this is going to be used against them in a life and limb sort of situation as opposed to a public grandstanding situation. Which, are you sure he is going to comply with, if a court rules that he must comply with a congressional subpoena, are you sure McGann's going to do that? With a congressional subpoena? Uh, that, one's, that one's iffy. Uh, I'm more the point that if he's ordered to comply with a Attorney, U.S. Attorney's Office or state prosecutors subpoena than he would. Yes, with a with a law enforcement a law enforcement agency that has the power to jail somebody, I think there there was no question that he would would comply. But the sound legal advice would be: do not comply with congressional subpoenas to the extent that anything you say there will put you in jeopardy potentially 
uh, when it comes to a criminal prosecution. The other argument for disbarring uh, McGahn is that he was a party to the president's attempted obstruction of justice. Now, I don't know how much yeah. I don't know how much we want to how much credit. Uh, here's the question. How much credit do you want to give McGahn for, uh, I, I guess, resisting the obstruction of justice, <laughs> you know, reducing Trump's potential obstruction of justice to mere attempted obstruction of justice by not carrying through it would appear on some of the orders that he was given how much how much kind of moral and then legal credit do you want to give him for that yeah this this goes to why disbarment proceedings are probably the wrong forum for all of this if you believe that somebody was involved in a criminal endeavor the prosecution of that thing must probably necessarily come first because the idea of having a disciplinary committee pass judgment on that without robust records being built in the criminal side is is probably not good. Well, yeah. So your so your it is your contention that you cannot and again we we're kind of skipping over the issue of whether or not McGann aided and abetted the obstruction of justice or whether he was actually preventing the obstruction of justice. And, and, and that's, that's a live issue, I think, but your position is that even if he was aiding and abetting the obstruction of justice, because the obstruction has not yet been prosecuted, McGann cannot be disbarred. I'm not making a blanket claim about that, but yes, I think it would be much better. It is in the better interest of legal, of the, I, I was going to say bar associations, but it's not always them. There are different ways in different states that it, but the licensing agency, it is in the best interest of the licensing agency not to endeavor to prove criminal violations within its, you know, fairly by design, not criminal process with, and not one with the criminal protections as a way of then dealing with somebody's license. It would be much better if you believe that what has happened is a criminal violation if that is being done through a criminal prosecution with the protections that that carries with it. But see, but this is where Trump, the administration's argument and the ridiculous Office of Legal Counsel memos argument that the president can never be indicted or investigated as president this is where that argument breaks down the entire system of justice because what you're essentially saying is that because trump cannot be indicted for obstruction of justice while he's the president then don mcgahn who is not the president of the united states also cannot be held accountable for his actions in that obstruction of justice because you haven't indicted the president first which of course according to the llc you can't so right. Trump's right. ridiculous you're, you're, protection, alleged protection under the OLC memo, doesn't just extend to the unique personage of the president of the United States. It basically gives carte blanche for the rest of the people in his branch of government to break laws without ever being held accountable for them. Right. But that, that problem is implicit regardless of the issue that I'm talking about, right? The question of whether or not those people can be held accountable by the justice system due to that argument exists independently of what you're proposing, which is the idea that, I mean, a disciplinary committee, three random lawyers in the state who happen to be pulling the duty of being on the committee that year choose to have the you know, do they get the ability then to take away the guy's job based on 
trying to, without any access to evidence, decide whether or not he committed a crime. That's the problem I'm talking about. The problem you're talking about that's wholly separate is that there is a problem with the way in which this whole executive privilege and whether or not president, sitting presidents can be indicted. But that's sitting over there regardless of what's going on. The question at hand is – Put aside that, do you think it would be better if people could lose their professions based on slapdash investigations without the benefit of the criminal justice system? That, I think, is problematic. I would not call the Mueller investigation slapdash, although I do think it was incomplete. But sure, your no. argument but I mean, your that's argument. A- is, that's, a, that's a grand jury investigation. He, he set up a situation that should have led to a grand jury indictment. Absolutely. That said, that doesn't jump over the the hoop then to say that the committee of randos get to take away the guy's job. Let me turn it around on you like this then. Your argument then is, as you must know, the exact same argument that Antonio Brown's going to make or that Ray Rice made, that these non-criminal slapdash investigations about their misconduct should not be the reason why they lose their jobs. Yeah, no, and absolutely. And that is a perfectly fair argument about what the extent of due process is when it comes to person, you know, private contracts as a at-will employee. Yes, that is that is a fair argument. It is one that traditionally they lose because organizations can choose whether or not they should have people on their staff based on all sorts of things. But that, yeah, that's going to be the argument. It's the same argument that Tom Brady was making, too. Like, that is a customary response that if there's something that's really a crime, it should be dealt with through those mechanisms and not. It's also the argument of a lot of these Title IX claims, too, whether or not people who are accused of sexual assault at the collegiate level, but it never goes to a criminal prosecution. How far are you able to go in meeting out some sort of punishment without going through the system that's designed for that purpose. And, you know, it's a sliding scale. There are places where I think that there are protections that are robust enough that you would be able to do that, and others where there aren't. It makes it a difficult question, but that's what but I think is at play You can't possibly here. be arguing that the, the due process protections in place for an Antonio Brown are somehow stronger than the due process protections in place for a Don McGann. No, my like argu- it, my argument is the NFL is able to to say they aren't hiring somebody. That is a function of their contract that is basically limitless because of the way in which that contract has been negotiated. And they can say, we feel like, regardless of how it's been proven, they don't get to work here. And that's a matter of their negotiation of the collective bargaining agreement. I don't think that has anything bar to do with it. association could also say that we believe that Don McGann should lose his license regardless of how the criminal process is played out. One of one of these things was a collective bargaining agreement that was actually negotiated at arm's length by a bunch of people. What you're doing is trying to suggest that we retroactively throw a bunch of rules on the, the licensing regime. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I understand that you just kind of think that everybody in Trump's orbit deserves to be put on the rack for you know, and that may well be true. But that's just not how this all works. So your better argument is the one you were making earlier, that the fight over what, what the limits of indicting a sitting presidents and the people around them are is a fight that needs to be had and dealt with. And, you know, the, res- the results of that follow in due course. But there think- isn't an end run around the legal system, uh, no matter how much people might like to have one. 
how do you think the fight will play out at the uh, Second Circuit? The, that exact fight where where I'm, Trump's lawyers yeah. um, on appeal, uh, just for, for listeners who haven't been following along. So, you know, Trump's arguing that he does not have to turn over his tax returns, um, that his accountant doesn't have to turn over um, their financial documents because the president not only cannot be indicted, now they're arguing that the president cannot even be investigated while he's in office. A district court said that theory was essentially ridiculous because it would give the president unlimited power. Uh, the Trump people obviously appealed straight away to the Second Circuit. And on appeal in front of the Second Circuit, um, the Trump lawyer, William Consvoy, um, I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but you can Google it. Yeah. Um, Trump's lawyer uh, actually said that you know he was asked if it was true that Trump could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and face no legal consequences. And Trump's lawyer said yes, that in fact Trump could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he would not be able to be mere, even investigated for that crime, much less indicted or held accountable to that crime. That is the argument Trump is making at the Second Circuit. Do you think it will hold up at the Second Circuit, Joe? And do you think it will hold up at the Supreme Court? I would certainly hope not in either case. It is a aggressive and ridiculous argument to go that far. And so, yes, I think that that would not succeed, and I would hope it would not succeed. I would even hope that people who are political actors would see want that not to succeed for the obvious reason that that precedent would be traumatic for them on all sides as it would play out through the ages. I mean, I guess if we don't care about stare decisis anymore, maybe they could do that. But if you have any belief that precedent matters, I would assume that this would not be a well-received argument. I don't know about the Supreme Court. I think I, I don't sure, see how it but gets that's not a, like, this. Yeah, but who, like, sure, you don't know. Fine. But like, we're not we don't control any of that. We control what the actual legal reasoning should be. And yeah, it would it seems like that should be something that would fail. What what happens? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I, I, th I don't think it does fail. And this is why okay. I want all the Trump people on the fucking rack, because they have they have long since stopped playing by anything resembling the rule of law. They've long stopped playing within the norms. They've long stopped playing within sure, the norms. Sure, okay. And your insistence on trying to, trying to use the book to catch them the right way just means that as they continue to throw away the book, burn the book, pretend the book doesn't exist, it just means that they keep getting away with their crimes and their lawlessness yeah, while no. Democrats remain unable to stop them. No, in fact... In fact, quite the opposite. Most of the issues that are happening now are the result of previous small transgressions that were met with by people saying, well, we they are not playing by the rules, so we don't have to either. And it just enables them because their interest is not in having a system that works. Their interest is in having a system that doesn't because that benefits them long term. Uh, if government is broken, that benefits them long term. And so that's what they want to do. And they really could not find better agents than the people who go on TV and suggest that we can throw away the rule of law now because they did something wrong. And, you know, it's been, it's been great for breaking them. the government. Yes, They've already it, succeeded. Yes, you have been a wonderful agent for them uh, <laughs> in all of the stuff that you're saying. Your, your both-sidedism is, is wonderful. No, that, no, that's not a both-sidedism. Well, it, it is both It is not. It is, it is it not. Is, it, is. it is, in fact, you know, no, no, no. These, oh, people, no. these people, these people have taken this country by the balls, all right? They've refused to play by the rules, and all you've got is Harry fucking Reed, all right? These people stole a seat on the Supreme Court. They put they, an alleged attempt at rapist on the Supreme Court. This is Court, the sound that we play when... Is Harry Reid. 
This is the sound we play when Ellie does the thing that he inevitably does midway through an argument, which is get incredibly loud uh, as opposed to make arguments. Uh, yes, no, it's very, it's been very bad, but you don't want to, you want to set up a situation that deals with that through a setup that we can then live with long term. Uh, when you act in a way that breaks down these rules for good, it only leads to a situation where future abuses happen. As we've, t- we've talked in, in previous episodes about the flipping the script kind of idea, that you have to deal with it by not doing what they did and saying, well, now that's good for us. It has to be some sort of a change. And you've, you've wrote a good piece. I think it got cut out, but I know you wrote it. A good piece about the filibuster and how it can't be released. It has to be changed because that's the only way in which it can work long term is if we do things that make it difficult to exploit, but still maintain it. That's the situation here too. And the idea that you set up a situation where people's disciplinary committees are now doing criminal prosecutions, that's not a particularly useful way of getting around that because it opens up all manner of abuses. You want something that will deal with it long term. And that's hard and it's unpleasant, but it's, it's you know, difficult times and difficult work. So it's been long at home. The suggestion on the change of the filibuster is not to completely right. get rid of it because um, there is still some value to the slow uh, uh, process. And protecting and protecting minority uh, minority. Yes. Um, But it's to change the filibuster back to the way that it used to be. If you ever watch, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Washington, change it back to a talking filibuster. Mm -hmm. So instead of right now, what we have is a procedural vote where it's like, oh, I filibuster. And then you go to the bathroom. No, you want a filibuster. You stay your ass on the Senate floor and you talk until you drop. Yeah. And it's a filibuster. And it and it it forces you to be in the public eye and be judged by the court of public opinion, which a lot of a lot of unpopular things are done under the guise of filibusters. And if they were forced to defend them, they would not uh, succeed. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great idea, and it's it's exactly the kind of solution to breaches of the rule of law that is necessary. It's a solution that sets up a condition that makes the hack impossible, while not ignoring the original institution. That's that's the problem and the challenge of how we deal with all this because much like the, what Harry Reid did basically when the filibuster was being abused in the past was take the wrong path uh, as opposed to the path that you just outlined. His solution was, well, I'll just get rid of it. And what do you know? The next thing that happened was we just got rid of it for Mitch McConnell. And so that's why it's so important to as unpleasant and difficult as it is to sit back and try to think of ways in which you can think outside the box and come up with innovative solutions that build on institutions of the rule of law rather than try to, you know, collapse them. No matter what Harry did when Mitch McConnell had the opportunity to steal Supreme Court seat, he would have and he would have changed the filibuster. Once he got a majority in the Senate, Mitch McConnell would have changed or messed with any rule he had to mess with in order to get Neil Gorsuch into that seat, and he would have done it to get an alleged attempted rapist into that seat. Yeah, I, 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 Mitch McConnell does not care about your rules. See, I actually, I actually think that if it were a talking filibuster at that point, you would have seen. I Gorsuch probably would have still been the case, but Kavanaugh could have been a different situation. But I think Gorsuch probably still would have been, and they would have utilized all those hours to try and make the claim that. You know, golly, this is just taking so long, and you know the, they're just dragging this out for no reason. They build that sort of narrative, which, true or not, or valid or not, 
you know, would be a strategy, and it's one that they could have potentially won. But and Gorsuch, they would have suggested they over time they would have played up. Oh, he's fairly reasonable, yada yada yada, and tried to get that done. Kavanaugh would have been a much more difficult situation, though. Who knows? Um, there's some argument to be had that they may well have thought that if it dragged out long enough, the popular opinion would swing back. Uh, unfortunately, history is somewhat on their side. Clarence Thomas, as that dragged on, kind of got the public back on his side, unfortunately. So maybe they had a value to that. The point is they, there were avenues for them to take that would not have been as long-term destructive. They might have still won, but they might have been able to win within institutions that could help long-term. I mean, they stole the seat. I don't. I don't think there was any coming back from that. Right, but the, but the stealing of the seat had nothing to do with filibusters or anything like that. Right, I agree yeah, with that. Yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah. saying like once once you steal, but I'm saying once you steal the seat, once you're halfway through the river of blood, it, it doesn't matter. Like the the institution is broken, right? I look. I, sure. Look, I mean, this, the, this has been broken. This has been broken since Bushfigor, and nobody's fixed it, and nobody's trying to fix it. All the Democrats are doing is losing, right? Like it, it is it is a system that has been broken since Bush v. Gore. Republicans broke it, then figured out how to win on the ashes, and the Democrats are still are, are still fighting a 1999 fight. I mean, I, I yeah, all right. Um, I'm I'm sure that is that is a compelling narrative. There are a lot of problems. The Bush v. Gore thing is absolutely a situation that leads towards brokenness but there have been many other instances in the you know 20 years since then that have been more uh that lend more optimism to the resiliency of these rules uh the current situation while problematic and in need of reform is you know in the grand scheme not as bad of a reflection on the brokenness of everything than uh, than it could be. Uh, there's certainly hope, but the more that it's dismissed and treated as, hey, government is nothing that you can rely on, the more powerful that the opposition to your point of view becomes. I don't see how they could get any more powerful than they are now. I mean, yeah, they they could, you know, not have a 38% approval rating. Uh, but and with that said, they, there are reasons to suggest that they have severe structural weaknesses as is. But with all that said, um, yeah, so that was the longest gear grinding ever. Um, so we will now transition to, no, uh, we'll just, <laughs> we'll just ignore the actual topic then uh, and move on. So thanks for listening. You should be listening, subscribe to the show, giving it reviews. You should be reading above the law. You should read at LENYC, at Joseph Patrice, both on Twitter. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine's podcast. You should listen to the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. And with all of those things said, we will be back with you hopefully with more of a five to six minute grinding of gears next time we are out of the gate peace if you'd like more information about what you've heard today please visit legaltalknetwork.com you can also find us at abovethelaw.com atlredline.com itunes rss twitter and facebook the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own 
and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.